0: This is your host, Rachel Miller. I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic and stroke survivor. Today, I want to talk about how life's problems felt like they were pushing me towards drinking. I thought I was an alcoholic because of my life's situation. I did not understand that my life's situation was was because I was an alcoholic. So that's what I wanna talk about today. And I wanna talk a little bit about how I have felt like how I felt in detox and how I felt when I got out of detox. Um, so I thought life made me drink, and I used alcohol as a solution to my problems. But in reality, it was like pouring gasoline on a fire. It only compounded the problems that I was already struggling with. And here's the kicker. The worse my problems got, the more of the solution I poured into my glass, you know. It's like you know, when I envision, I tried to think of like a visual of what it was like, you know, what the, the intensity of my life just getting ready to explode. That's what it felt like. And so what I was thinking of is, it's like sitting in your car, and your car's running, and it's in park. And you just start revving the engine. And you're, en- you're revving it higher and higher, but you're not moving at all, you know. And the engine's getting louder and louder. And then you just slam your foot all the way down, and the engine just explodes. And yet, you never moved. That's what my life felt like. Um, and that's when I left for detox when it got to that point. So I vividly remember what it felt like when I was in the detox facility. If someone would have told me that I was eventually going to spend a week in a detox facility with a bunch of other alcoholics and drug addicts, I would have been absolutely petrified thinking... I will never last a day with those people. Like, I would have been terrified of those people, you know? But my memories today of being in there, um, and remember I went twice, are very comforting. The first time I was there, I slept for like the first three days, and I only left my room really to go to the bathroom and I had to use a walker because I was um, detoxing (laughs) and um, I was a fall risk. So they even would bring me my meals until like the third day. Until they didn't bring me my meals anymore. And this nurse came in. And the lights were off. I was still like. I just did not want to get out of bed. I just wanted to sleep. I wanted to hide. And this nurse came in. And she like swung the door open. And she was like. Really scolded me. And told me that they were not going to bring me my food. And I needed to get out of bed. And come with them to go to dinner. And um. If I wanted to eat, then I had to go with everybody else. And so i that's when I had to start really facing the world. That's what it felt like. You know, I was still in the detox facility. We didn't go anywhere for dinner. We had to walk from our area over to the cafeteria. Um, But it felt like I had to start suiting up you know, and showing up. And that was scary. I was really uncomfortable um, having to take that next step to participate with others. Um, but I didn't have a choice. You know, this lady was scary. Uh, I didn't have a choice. And when I went and we walked over to the cafeteria, we all sat down and um. I realized as I was sitting there uncomfortable that we were all just human beings and nobody wanted to be there. Nobody was there because they wanted to be, you know, and we're all just sitting there. And, you know, it's funny how a bunch of people sitting at a table together and none of us want to be there, how much we have in common. And, um, and interestingly, there was a little bit of laughter here and there, you know, when when folks were talking. They had been sitting together for three days eating meals. I, this was my first time going and sitting at the table. So I was really quiet, but I was absorbing this feeling of positivity. Um, and that was, you know, when I think about it, I remember how uncomfortable i was but i also remember a little bit of comfort that sure that doesn't make any sense but um feeling like i was safe i think that's what it was i wasn't afraid of these people you know like i thought i it like i thought i would be sitting at a table with a bunch of alcoholics and drug addicts. You know, that seems really scary. Um, But it it wasn't scary. And my overall memories of the entire experience, both times, are comforting. I was being cared for by medical professionals. I had something in common with all of these people, even though we all looked different. We were all different ages. You know, there were, there were young, young people in their twenties. And there was like an older man, I think he was like in his upper seventies. And, um, and we, we were all there for the same reason. And that was something that united us. Some people wanted to or found value in being there a little more than others. And you could tell who those, who those folks were. But, um, you know, all in all, we were all there for the same reason. And we all had a problem. Um, there was a woman that was there, a younger woman, who... I know still suffers from the disease um, because she comes in and out and she's still and I've been sober for seven and a half years so um, to watch her every couple years come back and still be struggling with the same problems is really difficult to watch um, especially when we had been in the same facility at the same time. Like, she had the same chance I did, but um, is still, is still struggling. And it's just a reminder to me that there are so many people that suffer for so long. Um, so back when I was still married, if someone were to ask me why I drank, I would say it was because I was unhappy. But before that, when I was married, if somebody were to say, why do you drink? I would have said, it's because I'm happy and we're having parties. And before that, if somebody were to say, why do you drink? I would say, because I'm young, you know, live it up. Before that, it was because I'm a college student. You know, you get my point. The answer to why I drank adapted to any situation I was in. But I drank so much, not because of any of these reasons. I drank because I'm an alcoholic. I drank because I have a disease. My genes, enzymes... Hormones, brain, and other body chemistries work together to create an abnormal and unfortunate reaction in my body to alcohol. Alcoholism is tragically misunderstood. And not only by the patient, you know, me when you're in it but by doctors as well as I've been in sobriety I've heard so many stories about doctors who um who just don't get it you know just just to summarize they just don't get it and um and that's scary it's it's no wonder there's the odds are against us the alcoholics And yet, so many people do recover, thank God, because of the, um, not only the program of AA, but there are lots of non-AA groups out there as well that people find recovery in. Um, So, the journey for an alcoholic often will start with the question, why do you drink? And, The simple act of going to a meeting, uh, a sobriety meeting, for me, brought this sense of relief. Um, A momentary escape from the thirst that was brought about by my life's problems. And when I wasn't in a meeting, my problems just seemed to intensify. But I soon realized that when I was in that room in a meeting, I felt good, and my problems were gone i I shouldn't say my problems were gone. my problems I didn't have to do it like i I could focus on me in that room and uh. And it felt good to be in there. So naturally, the more I went, the more I wanted to go. The more goodness I felt. And there was just this difference between how I felt in the room and the inner turmoil that was waiting for me out the door out the door of the of of the meeting and eventually and just like I was talking about yesterday it didn't happen overnight but I learned that the reason why I drank wasn't because of what was waiting for me outside of the doors when I left the meeting the reason why I drank was right inside that room with me, in the meeting, between my ears, in my body. That was the reason why I drank, because I had a disease. I have a disease. Um, I drank because I couldn't stop. I drank because my cells actually adapted to require alcohol in order to function and that's what addiction is you know that that's minimalizing it but that's what uh that's what it is like my body was literally needing it in order to survive um and that shift from abstaining from alcohol and starving my cells from that lifeline had to be done in that detox facility. It's dangerous to do it on your own. And I actually didn't believe that that withdrawal that I was going through, I didn't believe that that was withdrawal when I was in the detox facility. I thought that those doctors and nurses and stuff, I thought they were giving me the medication. Like, we all lined up in this hallway to get our medication. And I thought what they were giving me was making me feel that way. And I told them that. Um, I blamed them for how I was feeling. I blamed them that I needed a walker. I thought it was their fault. Um, You know, it's, God bless those people who are in those facilities and they are saving us from ourselves because there's, I don't, I don't see how I would have done it without the doctors and um, therapists and AA and all of these this Team Rachel that I had to put together for myself. I couldn't have done it without all of all of that all these people. And so once I got home after detox, I had to stay busy like that became my lifeline to stay busy. So I threw myself into flea market flipping And um, folks who are close to me, who who listen to the podcast, know that I have this hobby. I haven't done it since I haven't um, since my stroke. I've tried to get back into it, but I just don't feel physically well enough to do it. I actually have a project in the garage that I haven't been able to do, but um, but I will and so this flea market flipping i watched the show flea market flip if you've seen it Um, and it's just about transforming something that's old and discarded into something fresh and new so it became a hobby for me but it was also like a metaphor for my recovery and um, and I loved going, I was living out in West Virginia at the time, and there were lots of flea markets out there. So every weekend, I would go, uh, walk. it would give me time, you know, something to do to spend my time. I would walk through these flea markets. It wasn't expensive, especially out there. So um, I could afford it. It was like a cheap hobby to have. And um, and then when I actually got to get my hands, on these things and and I preferred working with wood but to sand things and cut things and paint things that was keeping my hands busy keeping my mind focused not only on uh, something creative but it forced me to stay in the moment that I was in Um, and it was just it was an amazing opportunity for me to um to watch something transform while I was transforming myself Um, so some projects that I did I turned an old baby closet into a into a coffee bar um and I picked up a wooden chair off of the side of the road once. And um, I cleaned that up. It didn't even have a seat in it. Like it was just, it was really like just the wood. So I built a the seat and upholstered it and everything. And that was really cool. And then I also did small things like a little jewelry box. I bought this jewelry box that was like, maybe a dollar. I don't know. It was just a little wooden jewelry box and it had a clown painted on it. Um, and so I actually relined the inside with a new velvet and I painted the outside. I think I gave it to one of my nieces actually for Christmas or something, I think. Um, So these are some of the things that I did, and I just, I really enjoyed it. It was so good for me, and there were projects that did not pan out. Um, There was this chrome high chair that I bought. It was one of those super old metal high chairs, and it was all rusty, so I was using um, a sander that you specifically can sand metal uh sand the rust off of metal I don't know. So, I was sanding all of the rust off of the metal, but it it was very uh it was it wasn't a low low maintenance project. There was a lot of metal on there. And I probably got through 3 quarters of sanding it and then I just could not get myself to pick up the sander anymore. So I ended up not finishing that. And this, I'm kind of bummed about it because I had bought all of the material to reupholster the chair also with that like shiny um plasticky stuff that, you know, that the food from the baby would slide right off of or easy to clean up. Um, and it was really cute, but I ended up not finishing that project. And I still kind of am sad that I didn't do that, but... Um and then another one that I did was a dresser that I that never quite made the transition into being a bench. It was like a one of those big just bedroom dressers and I gutted the inside of it and cut it down and I was going to build a bench out of it. But I got lazy and I left it out on the back deck of my house and it got rained on. So I had to, we had to get a chainsaw out and maybe not a chainsaw, a saw and cut it apart and put it in the trash. So I, I actually had sanded the whole thing, like the whole freaking thing. I had sanded it down. It was beautiful. The wood looked beautiful and i left it on the freaking rain but whatever so um what can you do like these each of these projects successful or not like if they weren't successful for their intended pur- purpose um like of what pro- what i was turning it into they were successful in their true purpose, and that was to keep me sober. And every, you know, every bit of sanding I was doing or painting I was doing, every project was just a way to keep my, to keep me busy, keep my mind busy and keep my hands busy. And in the very beginning, it was super important that my hands were busy because I felt naked without a glass in my hand. Um, And that might be really difficult to understand for somebody who's not an alcoholic. But um, I even tried to hold a glass of water in my hand or um, I would hold like... I I think I, yeah, I was smoking at the time, and I didn't smoke in the house, so it's not like I could sit there and smoke, but over time I switched over to vaping, and so then I always had my vape in my hand, but there was quite a long period of time that I was, uh, I just didn't have anything that could replace that feeling of a wine glass in my hand. so I found that working on projects with my hands were the best way to, uh, to make me not feel uncomfortable without something in my hands. So the projects, um, you know, they were more than just ways to pass my time. Um, they, they were there were so many different levels of benefits to doing that, doing that. And, um, they became very tangible representations of the change that was going on, you know, with every creation, it wasn't just flipping furniture, it was representing flipping my life. And, Every project was a success, um, not because of what it became, but because of what I became in the process. And if you could think about like your own version of flea market flipping, um, whether it's whether it's doodling you know, um, whether it's uh, knitting, or, you know, whatever. What I like is, is looking at these projects, what of more than what they are, more than what you see. These projects are representative of who we are and what's happening on the inside. You know, um, I have, uh, one of my listeners who crochets and, um, has crocheted several hats for me. And these hats, you don't know this, but these hats that you give me are not just hats to me these hats are a representation of something beautiful that you create out of nothing, you know? And that's what every hobby um, that I work on and that I see other people work on, whether it's hats, paintings, quilts, whatever it is, um, they are something that was born from us, from our hands and from our minds and our emotions and our spirituality, even. When you crochet those hats, your spirituality, your, um, you know, those, those sermons that you listen to on Sundays, those uh, exercise classes that you go to, um, those walks you take at 5 a.m., all of that is being crocheted into every hat that you create. And that's why when you give me one, it's so beautiful to me. It's more than a hat. And that's what my flea market flipping was. It was more than a coffee bar. It was a representation of my new life. And it became actually, as we had coffee on it, it was something that I started my day with, um, you know, and... um and so as I was trying to improve my life and and, and do this flip of my life, um, the more that I was doing these little things, you know, um, the more my life was improving. The more that that was happening, the more Dedicate more, I dedicated my time to doing these little hobbies or going to sobriety meetings to stay sober. And, um, and I think that just in general, the things that we do, the better they make us feel, the more we invest in them, the more that we heal from something the more we lean into it. so But the hardest part is investing in something that I don't have any proof it's going to work. That is that switch over to putting down a drink and going to a sobriety meeting instead. I don't have any proof at first that it's going to work and that's that's another one of those it's amazing that any of us get sober because we we have to believe in something in order to lean into it you know it's it's for me it's reminding me of vision therapy um, because I've gone for two stints to vision therapy, and it hasn't done anything for me. Granted, I haven't gone very long, but I just, you know, it reminds me of folks who come into sobriety meetings, and they're like, yeah, I went to, I went to AA, it didn't do anything for me, you know, um, because they didn't have any Proof that came out of that you know I went to a couple meetings I don't feel any better right or uh I went to detox I don't feel any better I still want alcohol that kind of thing um if I could you know using the vision therapy example if I could find somebody that had my same disability that told me that yeah I couldn't look at the TV. I couldn't scroll on my phone. I couldn't ride in a car. Walking also made me sick. Um, And if they were to say, but I went to vision therapy and it took just about three months before I started to feel a little bit better. So I kept going. And then uh, after about six months, this is what happened. You know, I started to be able to ride in the car with my eyes open or something like that. If somebody were to tell me that, that's the little tiny seed that I would need in order to try a little harder, you know. And, but I haven't yet, you know, I haven't yet found somebody that has my disability um, But I'm not going to give up because we're leaning towards this vestibular disorder thing now. And I have found a, an article, one article that talks about my problems, <laughs> like exactly what's wrong with me, um, my impairments. And so I know that I'm not unique, right? I, I always say that. Um, and not even in this stroke recovery, my impairments. I know that I'm not unique. I can't be. There's got to be somebody out there that has my problem, and there's got to be a doctor that knows about it. So um, I'm going to keep leaning into it, but I found this same idea in sobriety that The proof that I needed when I first started going to sobriety meetings was listening to other people's stories. I had to go to enough meetings that I actually heard somebody express my thoughts in their story. Like, I heard somebody express the same obsession that I felt about alcohol, it came out of their mouth. And I was like, oh, they do understand. So that's when I was like, okay, they do, uh, they are like me. And then they would say, so this is what I did. And that was the seed. That was the seed that I needed. And so I leaned in a little bit into the program. I came up, you know, I showed up again. And the more I showed up, the more I kept hearing my story in, in what they were sharing in the meetings. And so I just leaned in a little more. And so the more I leaned in, the more things would start being revealed to me. Um, and then the more, you know, I would lean in a little more and little, little things in me were healing. Um, so I leaned in a little more and then more things began to happen and heal. And over time, you keep leaning in, it keeps happening. It, it's, it's just um, life's life keeps happening too of course but as i'm leaning in and i'm hearing my stories and i'm healing i'm also picking up tools that help me handle life as life is happening and so this really reinforces what i was talking about yesterday about how it doesn't happen overnight and So I I wanted to as I wrap up, I wanted to make this point that staying busy is not about avoiding drinking. It's not about avoiding a relapse. It's it's yes, it it is a way of keeping me from being uncomfortable without a drink in my hand, but it was also about rediscovering my purpose without a drink in my hand, rediscovering or discovering for the first time what my passions are and figuring out what my potential is as a sober human being. Because I didn't, I didn't know what my potential was ever because I was always drinking like my whole life. So I didn't know how far I could go. And it's really been quite astounding to see what I'm capable of. Um, yeah, sure. I, I do have times that I'm like, man, if I had not drank I Who knows what I would have accomplished in my life, you know, because I didn't get sober until I was 42. So uh, that's a lot of years. I could have uh, become an astronaut, (laughs) but, you know, things are the way they are because that's the way that um, that things were meant to be for me. You know, Um, that's just the way that they are. And um, I like how things are. I really do. I feel like I just would not understand the value of my life and, and how beautiful things are if I didn't go through all of that stuff. And I talked about that yesterday. Um, But I'm going to keep finding projects because these are activities, even in my stroke recovery. That uh, bring me joy and a sense of accomplishment, and that, and that sense of um, of we, like what I was talking about with the crocheted hat, weaving every part of me into some sort of creation. And um I've talked about how I'm gonna come, i'm I'm going to be, coming forth with this how creativity um, is linked to recovery and that'll be fun I have a lot of ideas about that so um, but I just don't want to I don't want to just unload all of the ideas all at once it's just the first month it's January we got to have a whole year of fun so um, I think it's you know in recovery both sobriety and stroke recovery every day I have a lot of time on my hands now every day is an opportunity to create something beautiful and not just with my hands but also with my life and so I'm just gonna keep showing up for life and um, so that's what I have for you today thanks for listening and I'll talk to you tomorrow